Strange Rangers, this is Fatina. This is Bree. And you're listening to Stranger Danger, a true crime podcast. Welcome back. Actually, I've been sleeping a lot too, which is not, not great, but... No, but your body needs that to heal. Let yourself sleep. Can't. Yeah. I can't drive anywhere. Right. Well, good thing we're here. This will hopefully take your mind off it a little bit. I'm actually, I'm really looking forward to this. I'm super Um, looking forward to it. So today, everyone, and this is what I like about, you know, having a podcast. I love having a podcast. This is my favorite part that, you know, the way that we do it, it just seems like we're talking to friends, right? Oh, for sure. We're talking... Not only am I telling you, mm-hmm. um, you know, a case and you're telling me a case I'd never heard or that, you know, we may have heard before, but we go into deeper details. And so we're just chatting and we're talking about cases. And this is one of those cases that throughout the years, somehow it always finds its way into a conversation, especially if you're from Portland. Exactly. And we start talking about true crime. So today we're going to be talking about the case of Kyron Horman. So I took it on um, and I've been trying to deal with this whole leg thing and recovery and surgery and things. Um, But you're from Portland as well. Mm -hmm. So if at any point um, you know something that I either missed or was set differently or something like that, um, by all means, jump in. So, well, you know, with this case, I am like embarrassed to say that I don't know more. I have obviously heard the name of Kyron Horman. And so I feel like our roles are reversed from my last case with the Ken and Barbie killers that like, I've heard of it, but you're going to be telling me everything for like literally the first time. I, I know the gist of it. Perfect. So I'm super, super excited to hear you dive into all this so again so we are covering the case of kyron horman and if you're from portland or if you've been in portland for longer than at this point 13 or 14 years yeah um then i'm sure you've heard his name um even if you've been here less than that you've probably heard his name and i'll go over all those details but uh the case of kyron horman um it it's one of the like worst case scenarios for a parent for sure. Um, or for any kid, for that matter, but for a parent especially, because he disappeared or he was last seen in one of the places that a kid is entrusted to. He disappeared from school. Mm-hmm. So it tugged at every parent's heartstrings. Yeah, because if your kid isn't safe at school, then right. where are they safe at? Where can they be safe? Yeah, exactly. So I'll start with um, with all the information, and we'll just start talking about it as we go on. I tried to dig up as much information as I could on this. One of my biggest resources for this was um, Boy Missing, a book called Boy Missing mm. by Rebecca Harris, I believe is her name. And... Um, Kyron's mom, Desiree Young, is uh, one of the people who most promotes this book. This book. Mm-hmm. She applauds the fact that it's written very matter-of-factly and non-biasedly. Okay. So it's not so much given opinions or throwing shade at anyone or, sure. um, you know, throwing suspicion on anyone. It's saying, here's what we know. Here's uh-huh. what happened. Here's the other information that we're talking about. 
so it doesn't um, throw so much the, um, the rumors side of it into it. It just, it keeps the focus on the missing child and the side stories that are relevant to finding out maybe who would have wanted to harm this child. And but I not think, so much on a gossipy thing. Totally. Right. And I think saying just strictly fact base is so important, especially when you're, you know, really trying to solve crimes like this because, you know, it's a young child schools involved where they're supposed to be safe. It's so easy to get caught up in the emotions of things and we can just, you know, just spiral down in all those emotions. So to stay very factual is important. So here's what we know, right? Here's a couple details. So Kyron Horman, um, he was born on September 9th, 2002. At the time when he disappeared, he was a whole three foot eight inches and he was 50 pounds. Just a little man. Just a tiny little guy. Yeah. Tiny little guy. Um, He did have a distinct V-shaped birthmark on his forehead. Okay. Um, But it's not a, um, I would say, very distinguished birthmark. Like it's a... Like, like the contrast isn't there, right? Like, yeah. like a strawberryish type of thing. Like okay. it's not too um, prominent on his forehead. Gotcha. Um, so, so Kyron Horman. Um, a little bit about his family. So his family was a, a little bit stretched out. I would say, um, his father, Kane Horman, mm-hmm. um, and his mother Desiree Young, had been married and. They, when they found out they were pregnant, they had already started talking about separating. Oh, wow. But found okay. out they were pregnant. Mm-hmm. They were going to maybe try and make it work. Mm-hmm. That didn't work out. So when they were eight months pregnant, when um, Desiree was eight months pregnant, they finalized her divorce. Gotcha. Um, that's just the way that that marriage worked out. Sure. Um, they were still going to be both very active parents um, in parenting mm-hmm. Kyron, um, but it just didn't work out where um, they were going to be staying together. Right. So Desiree, um, and I believe came too, but Desiree was down in Medford at this time. Okay. Um, she, um, you know, started moving on and staying with family there while they were, while Kyron's was really small, like mm-hmm. still a baby. And, Kane was up here in Portland. He was an engineer at Intel. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So he had a great job. He had a great job. Yeah. Um, so I don't think that's one where he could like commute down to Medford or what have you. So Probably he had not. to stay up here in Portland. Um, as and just some of these details are a little fuzzy. Um, I guess they're just things that it put together from different sources. But the way it turns out is that although they were co-parenting and switching off weekends and whatnot something happened with Desiree's health where it started declining okay and she was diagnosed I believe with a kidney failure okay and where she could get the best treatment for this was going to be out of the country in Canada oh wow yeah so I mean that's kind of crazy because we have some really great hospitals yeah, here in Portland. Hospitals. So to have to go Absolutely. out of country is um, wild. And so I don't know what why that was uh-huh. or any more specifics about her health situation. I just know that she was out of the country. So what happened there is that that took 
obviously the logistics of traveling out of the country and, you know, coming back down and her Mm -hmm. health is declining. Um, She was giving more time to Kane um, to have the kid, to have Kyron. Okay. Um, So the first couple of years that as Kyron was growing up, um, Kane was trying to make it work. And then he kind of rekindled something with a woman named Terry Moulton. Okay. Terry came back into the picture first with the idea of she needed a place to live. She had her son who was a little bit older. I think he was like a, like a young teenager. Okay. And herself needed a place to live um, while she was out of a job. She used to be like a substitute teacher okay. for school. But she had recently gotten a DUI mm. with the kid in the car. Oh, that's tough. So I don't think that she could find a job as easily. Yeah, a probably teacher. not. <laughs> because they did put child endangerment charges on her. Sure. So she came into that situation with Kane and Kyron as a person that would be a live-in caretaker for Kyron. Sure. And she would also have a place to live. Right. It's kind of fuzzy on whether or not there was an initial romantic relationship between them when she initially moved in. Yeah. But what we do know is that there had been a history of them being romantically involved. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And that sometime when they were romantically involved, that might have overlapped when Kane and Desiree were married. Oh, okay. So this was potentially a romantic relationship before her moving in. And yes. then it got rekindled with her now living yes. with Kane. And the the previous was also an overlap maybe to when he was actually still married. Gotcha. So she might have been the side chick first. Sure. So um, she moved in um, in about 2004. So... Kyron was like two-ish. Kyron was like two-ish. Um, so she was part of his life at this mm-hmm. point. Um, and then, like I said, they started, you know, rekindling this relationship. And um, a little bit about Terry. Like I said, she used to substitute teach mm-hmm. some. Um, she also was a competitive bodybuilder. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Like full on bikini fake tans competition like strong i actually know a lot of people in portland that have competed it it seems like kind of a a thing it's totally a thing which i didn't even know it was right um but i have some friends too that do it Uh i didn't know we had a big community yes exactly we do we totally do so she was a bodybuilder Mm -hmm. she had won some competitions and her physique at least back when she was in competitions was like phenomenal insane insane um so definitely something that is makes up her mm, persona i would say you know it's just one of those things like people ask me what do i do and like i don't want to tell them i work for insurance i'm like i have a podcast you know it's yeah. just like one of those things so i'm sure she would be like oh i bodybuild right or i go to the gym because i take care of my health or whatever totally but, so she got that DUI. She got another. I think she got a second DUI mm. in two thousand five. And two thousand five is um, when she solidified moving in with Kane and Kyron. Okay. By two thousand seven, Kane and Terry and the boys, so her boy and Kyron, um, took a trip over to Hawaii and they got married on the beach. Cute. So they had a cute beachside 
intimate type yeah. wedding. There's pictures on it on Facebook. Um, it was kind of spur of the moment type of thing. Um, there wasn't much family there of anything other than the boys. Right. They kind of eloped a little yeah. bit. Yeah. Uh, by 2008, they had a daughter. Oh, okay. That they named Kyra. Oh. So, and it's funny because I think somewhere I heard that Kane wanted to, it's like, he was pulling a Kardashian here. Yeah. <laughs> he really was, though. Sounds that way. Because he's Kane with a K, K-A-N-E, uh, Kyron with a K, and right. now Kyra. So he was following that K theme. Man, you better really enunciate when you're yelling that across the yard <laughs> at your kids so the wrong one doesn't think that they're getting yelled at. Right. Kyra, Kyren. Exactly. (laughs) So um, they seem to be, to have it all. Yeah. He has a very successful job. She is a stay-at-home mother um, with now three kids at home. Mm -hmm. Her her older kid from a previous marriage, um, Kyren from his previous marriage, and now Kyra, which is now their Their together baby. Right. So they seem to be having it all. Kyron's going to school. He is in elementary school at this time. He's a second grader. And Kyron is the type of kid that um, he didn't have major health issues. Mm-hmm. But he did have some things that um, made, him a, made him a little special. Okay. He's a, he's, he's a cute little kid. He did wear a heavy prescription for his glasses. Okay. So, um, to the point where he, like, really couldn't see without his glasses. Yeah. Um, he had also been having some possible seizures. Ooh, okay. Small seizures where he would walk into a room and he would just look completely lost. Like, he forgot why he was walking to the room. Yeah. Little petty um, mall seizures. Yeah. yeah. Um, so they were going to start looking into those when mm-hmm. all of this took place. Um, Desiree, a little bit about mom. Yes. So I don't know that she got 100% better health-wise. Okay. Uh, that's never mentioned again in any of the resources, whether she recuperated or everything is mm. okay and whatnot. We just know initially that's what took her off to Canada and time away from being down here, right? But eventually she remarried as well. Mm-hmm. She remarried a detective from Medford. His name is Tony Young. Okay. Okay. So... Therefore, her new last name, Young, Desiree Young. Gotcha. Okay. So because they split, you know, every other weekend, they would switch with Kane. Mm-hmm. Kyron also loved Tony. Okay. He loved Tony. He looked up to him. Yeah. Um, he was a detective from Medford PD. So Tony um, was that example in Kyron's life of, um, you know, being inquisitive and trying to figure out things, too. Mm-hmm. I mean, his dad's an engineer, too. So, sure, yeah, he's getting it from all um, angles. At some point, I don't know if it was, it was him and Tony or someone took him to a CSI fair. Oh, fun. And he got a souvenir shirt. Okay. And this is a shirt he wore on June 4th, 2010. Okay. So, unfateful day of June 4th, 2010. It was the day of the science fair at school. And usually, every other day, parents, friends, family that's going to come onto the campus has to go through the front office, check in, sign in, get a badge, etc. Sure. This day, it being science fair day, none of that was protocol. Okay. 
So I bet it is now. Any right. <laughs> anyone could come in and go. Right. Because they were coming to see the science fair. Projects. Sure. So this is second grade science fair. This is trifolds with, you know. Baking soda and vinegar <laughs> volcanoes. Exactly. That's yeah. 100% what it is. Yeah. Right? <laughs> um, like Life of a Butterfly. Right. Which is like one of my favorite. Of course. They're very um, kid-like projects. Yeah. <laughs> Super cute. They're on their desks. Kyron was very much into nature. Um, he was a very, how do I put this, inquisitive kid. He okay. wanted to know how things work. On that day, he needed to take his project home because that was the day that it was being shown. And mm-hmm. then, you know, it's ready to go back home. Right. And Terry wanted to see it. She had talked to the teachers prior to this day. And they told her that if she couldn't come during like the open hours of the science fair, and this is where it gets a little confusing for me, um, they told her that it would be like around eleven that she would have to show up like super early, uh-huh. drop it off, and to show it and to like take it back. And to do that, her and Kane switched vehicles that day. Okay. So it was going to be easier to load unload this trifold poster. Mm-hmm. In his truck than in her vehicle. Okay. A sedan of some sort. And this is the stepmom. Yes. Yes. Okay. Yes. Um, she also had her daughter. Uh-huh. I was going to say Kyra, but it is Kyra. Kyra. Had her daughter Kyra with her that day. Okay. So the day goes, they show up at school around 8 a.m. Really, really early. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they show up to school around 8 a.m. And she, they go drop off the, the project. Right. He did a project on the red-eyed tree frog. Cute. Okay. And she takes what is now the last known pictures, the infamous pictures of Kyron next to his science project. Okay. He's wearing his CSI shirt. He's standing next to his trifold tree frog project. And... Takes goes around. She says that they walked around, looked at some other exhibits, and then at around eight forty-five, she walked him to the top of the stairs to the second floor where he was about to go to his math class, mm-hmm. and waved at him and saw him walking towards his classroom. Okay, and then walked back down, got in her car. From there, she said that she went over to. Fred Myers to mm-hmm. Freddy's. So if you're from Portland, if you're from Oregon, it's one of those things where the store is called Fred Myers. Fred Meyer. Yeah. But we call it Freddy's. Exactly. So I might switch them. Um, so she goes to the first Freddy's and she is going to go pick up a prescription. Okay. And she says she spends a couple minutes there and then she realizes that she's at the wrong Freddy's for the prescription. Oh, shit. There's another one right down the road, uh-huh. about six or seven minutes away. Right. And this is in the Tannis Warren area. Okay. And she goes to the second Freddy's. She's looking around for the prescription. Uh, she goes to pick up the prescription. And then she also looks around for another type of medicine, like Tylenol, children's Tylenol or something like okay. that. Okay. And this is because her daughter, she claims, had an ear infection and was being fussy. Mm-hmm. So that was the prescription that she was picking up as well. Okay. And then from there, the errands that the errands that she ran 
ended around 10.10 when she last checked out of that Freddy's. And then from there, she also went to a dry cleaners. Mm -hmm. And I'm not sure if it was to drop off or pick up. Mm -hmm. And she also went to a craft store in the Tannisborn Center. Gotcha. So in 2002, it had to have been a Joann's or a Michael's. (laughs) For sure. I don't think we had Hobby Lobby. So it had to have been those two. Probably. Okay. So all of those errands, she left the school at 845. She ran those errands until 1010. So about an hour and a half. About an hour and a half. Yeah. After that, she then checked into her gym at 1139. Okay, that's a big chunk of time. So that's later. a big chunk yeah, of time. Like so an hour 15, hour 20 minutes. Hour 29. Yeah. So hour and a half. Uh-huh. She goes into 24-hour fitness she drops Kyra off at the in-gym daycare, daycare. Right. Works out for about an hour, almost exactly an hour. At 12.40, she checks out. Mm-hmm. Then she says she gets home, takes a shower, etc., and posts at 1.21 p.m. that picture of Kyra at the science fair. She posts it, like, on her social media? Yes. Okay. Sorry. She posts it on Facebook. Gotcha. Um, and then at 3.30 in the afternoon, so, sorry, so around 2 p.m., so she posts that picture around 2 p.m., mm-hmm. Kane got home from work, he went to go finish off the rest of his day as a work from home. Okay. And so Kane, Terry, and Kyra, mm-hmm. the little girl, at 3.30 took a walk from their home over to where the bus stop usually drops off Kyron. Gotcha. When they got there, it was worst fucking nightmare. Kyron wasn't off the bus. Sure. They quickly talked to the bus driver. He says Kyron never got on the bus. Mm-hmm. They immediately phoned the, the school mm-hmm. saying, where's my son? Did he miss the bus? Right. They talked to the secretary, Susan Hill, and she recall, she told them, that at 10 a.m. when attendance was called, he was marked absent. Oh, wow. Okay. And so Susan Hill, the secretary at the school, called 911. She called 911 at 10 a.m.? No. Oh, at, when at they... 3.30. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. So the police arrived within 45 minutes to both locations to the home to talk mm-hmm. to the parents. But at that time, they were already at the school. <laughs> right. Um, and at that point, that's when Desiree, his mom down in Medford, got possibly the worst fucking call of her life. Totally. The worst call of her life. Now, I have a quick question. Yeah. So Terry was running errands until 1010. Oh, Do we know yeah. this because of that's what she says? Or we have like CC... TV footage or a combination of both? Combination of both. Okay. Okay. So, and I'm definitely going to go back to, because that, that fucking magical hour there. Right. Is. What matters. That's that hour and a half, hour and 29 minutes to be precise. Uh That is like. Not accounted for. Not accounted for. Right. And that's what we need to like pick apart. Totally. So, um. Just a little bit more about that day, and then I'll come back to that. So the police arrive, um, Desiree and Tony. Um, Desiree calls Tony, get off work, 
we were driving up to Portland. Kyron's missing. Right. Um, they get on the road very quickly. They're here. I'm sure she sped the whole fucking way. Absolutely. Which, like, who wouldn't? Yeah. Um, I mean, from here to Medford, it's a good... It's at least four five, hours. Four or five hours. Yeah. Five if you drive like me, but... Uh. <laughs> four if you drive like my friend. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um... So it's a, it's a bit of a drive. Yeah, it's not a short commute. Um, you, you get some good long stretches where you could be pretty fast, mm-hmm. but um, getting out of there is pretty... Well, I don't know. So they got here quickly. They got yeah. here that same night. Yeah. Because <laughs> how would you not? Exactly. Um, I mean, and by the time where the cops, the Multnomah County Sheriff, realized that... Um, you know, this was a disappearance mm-hmm. um, and they didn't know whether it was a kidnapping. Right. Or, I mean, at his age of seven, it definitely wouldn't have been like a runaway situation. No. Um, so obviously some foul play was like triggered. For sure. Right. So they alerted the FBI right away. Oh, that's so fast. That's great. Right away. Um, there were rescue teams and dive teams that night. Wow. There were already, I think, 60 between Multnomah County Sheriffs uh, and um, National Guard. Uh Uh-huh. And another 60 to 70 uh, civilian uh, volunteers. Right, right. That were searching. Uh Uh-huh. They first focused in two or three mile radius of Skyline Elementary, the school that he was last seen from, Mm -hmm. to look for him. And, like, that search went straight into the night. Because he's seven. Right. He's seven. So the, the the search continued. Like, there was no stopping searching. Right. Because he's a little baby. Absolutely. Um, okay. So now we're going to go back into, like, <laughs> this one hour, mm-hmm. hour and a half. Yes, there is a combination of... Like, her whereabouts footage, being accounted for. Yeah, of, yeah. like, footage um, showing that... She was at Fred Meyer, uh-huh. that she was at the gym. Um, but that in-between time is where it's like, okay, well, where's anyone else? Um, she also, I guess it's reported that on both Fred Meyer locations that she went to, she parked really far away. Oh, okay. Which is weird that you would do that with a kid in a car seat. Yeah, I mean, I definitely wouldn't. I guess I wouldn't <laughs> for her benefit of the doubt. Being someone that liked to bodybuild and go to the gym, maybe it was her way of getting steps in, parking maybe. the furthest away from the door. Sure, but sure, and I'm, with a baby and I'm in a open car to seat. discussing all like the okay, let's maybe rule this out because sure. it could be not relevant, and we're just looking too much at it. Right, right. So it could be that she just wanted to walk further. Um, obviously the speculation is that if there had been a kid in the car, Mm -hmm. either unconscious or against their will of Mm -hmm. some sorts or conscious and just there. Sure. She didn't want anyone to see him. Yeah. A lot less likely. Yeah. There is no accounting for this. They, um... So right away, the family, the four of them, both the step parents and the two bio parents uh-huh. were a unit and they were like, okay, let's, 
let's put all of our efforts, all of our focus into, you know, finding Kyron. Let's figure out where he's at, etc. Totally. So a couple of days after, they had their first conference for mm-hmm. the news, for the media, and they appeared all together. Um, I would say there's some body language expert videos out there that have picked apart those videos now. Mm-hmm. And Terry's behavior, I think even to a lay person doesn't know anything about body language right um it looks very faked <laughs> sure um it looks like crocodile de- tears uh-huh um theatrical yeah yeah very strained um very much like looking down so they don't see that i'm not crying kind of thing mm-hmm. uh, like digging her face into other people's shoulders while they're crying. I'm like, girl, you're doing too much. Yeah. You're doing too much. Um, but again, that's just a lot of hindsight in hindsight. Cause in the moment we're like, we, the parents are in the background while there's like a spokesperson from Multnomah County or the FBI speaking at the forefront or at the podium. Right. And the parents are in the background. So yeah, you're looking at them, but you're more wanting to see if there's any new information. I'm sure as it's coming through on live TV and whatnot. Sure. So I'm not sure that those details were dug into as much at the beginning as they could have. Yeah. Um, But nonetheless, I mean, eventually they were. But so on the next day after this is, you know, after him been been missing one day, um, the staff, the parents, the children, this is now a Saturday because mm-hmm. he went missing on a Friday. June 4th was a, sa- a Friday. So on June 5th, um, the police um, contacted the staff at the school. Um, they let them know that there was going to be a, a, a meeting for everyone at the school on Sunday if they had questions or they had if anyone that they wanted to talk to, if they saw anything, they saw anyone, if they saw Kyron. Sure. So they were going to have like a meeting on Sunday for everyone at the school. Right. Um, something that I did forget to mention is that um, obviously with no one knowing, well, someone knew, but no one knowing that Kyron went missing as early as 10 a.m. in the morning. Uh-huh. They were behind the game like five or six hours. Right. And if you are any type of true crime watcher, listener, etc., those first few hours are like crucial. Crucial. Yeah. Whether it's, you know, scent dogs or it's, you know, gathering information or mm-hmm. fresh eyewitnesses and whatnot. But if no one knows that anything happened, it's not going to become a memory. Yeah, absolutely. Everyone's going about their day. Yeah. And here's what's funny about that Friday. So, like I mentioned earlier, Kyron had some health issues that mm-hmm. were happening Um and he did have an upcoming doctor's visit. It was a type of school where, um, and I'm sure it is still, that if a kid is absent for the day, the parents are going to get an alert or get a text message saying, hey, you know, you either didn't call your kid in absent today or sure. you know, are they okay, et cetera, from the attendance line. Right. And that day they did not get a text message warning them or asking them about Kyron's absence. Right. Because 
Terry had already spoken with teachers about an upcoming doctor's appointment on Friday. Okay, like didn't give any sort of specific date, just mentioned that he w- well, had a... Well, that's the funny part. Okay. She says she told the teachers it would be the next Friday. And no one huh. is... No one has come forth, I don't believe, and said she told us this Friday. Right. She just told a us Friday. And not even, like, no one was sure enough. So it was just, it just became like this thing, but someone had to have been talking about it. Right. To the point where when he wasn't there, it wasn't a big deal. Gotcha. Because someone had talked about a doctor doctor's appointment on Friday. Uh-huh. Even Kyron's classmates recalled that they knew he wasn't there because he had a doctor's appointment. Because, like, you know, a kid's like, oh, I'm going to the doctor. I won't be here on Friday. You know, it's yeah. like a mini vacation or whatever. It's it just kids. seems really convenient. Oh, I mean, it just seems really convenient. convenient that that many people would be aware of this doctor's appointment to yeah. the point where they're not alerted when he's just not there. And, like, students talking about it and stuff. That's, yeah. that's odd. Very odd. So there is... Supposedly, one kid eyewitness who saw Kyron at nine. Okay. So that would be 15 minutes after Terry says she left. Right. But it's a kid. Yeah. (laughs) Not saying they're always not reliable. Right. But again, it's one of those situations where, like, it's a kid and nothing traumatic happened to bookmark that moment like mm-hmm. they didn't see him get snatched up into a van or mm-hmm. you know anything other than maybe a passing high if that was him mm-hmm. so they're they're saying that they think they might have saw him at 9 a.m gotcha um yeah so a little bit about skyline elementary and this is why it um well not only did it garner a lot of attention because it's a seven missing a missing year old that's seven years old but right um Skyline Elementary is like at the, at the, it's nestled in the bosom (laughs) of Forest Park. Oh, okay. So Forest Park, for anyone that's not from Oregon or is not an avid hiker and hasn't heard of Forest Park, it's a 200 acre forest reserve. And it's in the middle of urban portland i was gonna say and it's almost inner city it's not like a it's not like a 200 acre park that you have to drive to you nope. you're like literally in downtown portland and you can walk into forest yep. park yep there's even a movie um i wrote it down because i was like oh i definitely need to go see that there's a movie called leave no trace which is the real life story of a father and a daughter who lived in Forest Park for four years undetected. What? Yeah. The movie came out in 2008, I believe. Crazy. Yeah. It's a huge place. Yeah, it, it's it's massive. You it's can easily... Place. There's so many trails. And it's mountainous. Exactly. It's mountainous. It's not just, you know... Um, it's not like flat brush where right. you can look into the distance and, you it's know, see forever. Or no. Something. No. It's it's a mountainous, treacherous place um, where if you go off any path, 
let's say you roll an ankle or something, you can easily find out an embankment and, like, never be found. Right. So, Skyline goes up to the edge of that. Gotcha. Um, and so if someone, maybe other than Terry, or, I mean, anyone, mm-hmm. um, were to walk into that direction, it's like walking into an abyss. Yeah, you're gone. So that was their first fucking focus. Right. That whole back area. Um, and of course, just like any case and any situation, um, there's so many tips that come in or like false sightings or people like, oh, I saw this or I saw this man here or whatever. You know, there's all always those kinds of tips, but none of those ever planned out to anything else. Right. Um, and soon after, within a couple of days, um, on June 14th, so 10 days after he had been missing, the case changes from a missing persons case to a criminal case yeah and then very quickly after that the search was now including the savi island area okay so savi island is an island (laughs) (laughs) between the state of oregon and the state of washington yeah um it's just this Cool, quiet little piece of land with a bunch of boat ramps mm-hmm. um, into different fingers of the Willamette River. Yeah. So the reason why the search was expanded over to Savi Island is because when they collected phone records for Terry, one of the pings from the one of the phone pings hit on one of the Savi Island towers. Interesting. But she was still on the northwest side of Portland. So. Like the times match up for footage that we have in her cell phone pings at the same time. uh, To get to Savi Island, there's only one way that you can get there. Yeah. One bridge that has cameras. That camera did not show any footage of her or her car mm-hmm. that she was driving the white truck that day mm-hmm. going into or coming from Savi Island. Interesting. So her phone pinged on it because maybe she was close enough on the northwest side of Portland right. that it like grabbed the piece of it. Yeah. But not so much like a hit like she was on Savi Island. Right. So nonetheless, they still expanded the search as far out as Savi Island. Yeah. All right, so they extended the search out to Savi Island, um, and that included, like, diver teams. So up until this point in Oregon history, and I think to now, it's been the most expansive search in Oregon. Right. used, like, a shit ton of resources, which, like, throw all of them at it, um, at the situation. You yeah. Know, uh, whether it's equestrian search or foot search or divers. Whatever you got to do. Right. (laughs) But it's definitely um, held up that record up until now. Not a good record, but nonetheless a record. Um, And now that we're talking about this, I've never really thought about it until this moment that like, I know that Portland's big, but when you talk about going and looking for a seven-year-old kid, I mean, we have the river, we have Forest Park, you have all of the outskirts of the city, not to mention, I mean, how much the city has grown and expanded um, upwards Mm -hmm. (laughs) since 2002. Like, there are so many 
nooks and crannies and areas yeah. that the ground that you need to cover is just insane. It's massive. Yeah. It's massive. And with Portland being such a lush place right. in forestry, mm-hmm. it's very easy to hide your tracks. I mean, we have the Columbia River. You oh can go way out the gorge, you know, Savi's Island, the Willamette that extends all, you know, it it separates Washington There's and so Oregon. Many, so many ways that this could go. Yeah. Um, okay. So with that information, um, we're about two or three days out from the search. We are going to pause here for part one and <sighs> we'll come back next week for part two. Discuss a little bit more about why the finger or the microscope is put on the stepmother um, and how the family is, um, I guess the family as a whole is put under a microscope. Right. Uh, it continues to be under the microscope for this. And, you know, what other information do we have that um, points to a possible suspect on this case? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I'm on the edge of my seat. Yep. Ah. All right. We'll talk to you next week. Meanwhile, make sure to leave a review. If you haven't already, we'd really appreciate it. It helps us find other listeners like you. And if you haven't already, check us out on Instagram and Patreon. Bye, guys. Don't be a stranger. Bye. Bye. Bye.